Let me grab you a towel. Ugh. Secondary character. Hello, Ivan. Hello, Stephen. And hello to you, our listeners. Welcome to another week of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We're a Melbourne podcast, and every week we take an episode of Seinfeld at random and examine the secondary characters from it. And this week we're doing a season eight episode, The Pothole. Holy cow! Season Holy eight cow. episode. <laughs> yeah, season eight episode sixteen, and an episode that I enjoyed very much. Yeah, no, I really liked this episode. I didn't remember a lot of it, and I enjoyed it. It kind of, in a way, felt like watching a new episode or an episode that I hadn't seen in ages. So, uh, yeah, very, very funny, and uh, looking forward to talking about the secondary characters. Indeed, and actually, funnily enough, the director, Andy Ackerman, he actually won an Emmy for directing for this episode. Yeah, no, I noticed that. We'll talk a bit about that in the uh, trivia a bit later on. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to all of our previous episodes on your podcast app of choice and if you want to be so kind as to rate us or review us that would be amazing and you can support us financially as well that's right we are on patreon and paypal and on patreon you do get this episode earlier than everyone else as well as access to our exclusive podcasts season 11 and curbcast that's right. And uh, finally, if you want to join our Facebook group, Seinfeldisms, it is the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook by far. We're growing exponentially at this point. I was using the word rapidly uh, on previous <laughs> podcasts, but now I think it's safe to say exponentially, which is amazing. Uh, just type Seinfeldisms uh, into Facebook and you'll find the group. And we've got all sorts of stuff coming up, none of which I can announce as of yet. But uh, mm. join the page and keep an eye on it. And uh, yeah, get as excited as we are about it. Fair enough. Yes, I know. It's really big and it's very exciting. Indeed. Every week we talk about real life Seinfeldisms. Uh, that is anything that's happened in our previous week in our lives that we can attribute back to Seinfeld in any way. Have you got any this week, Ivan? Well, because we're still in lockdown in Melbourne, no- nothing more Seinfeld related has come up, unfortunately. But uh, I, well, actually, there was one thing I put I put up a thing on the Seinfeldisms Facebook page where uh, I downloaded the, um, the new Tony Hawk's game, the skateboarding yeah. game, and uh, I made a creator skater and the limit because I love creating like characters and stuff and you know the, the creator character things on, on games the customization options are pretty limited in this game but I tried to make a Cosmo Kramer skateboarder so I gave him like a button shirt and brown pants and brown shoes and uh, yeah gave him some wild hair but uh, his face I couldn't quite get right I, I put it on Seinfeldisms and people were saying he looks more like a young David Lynch than a Cosmo Kramer so uh, <laughs> yeah if you go on Seinfeldisms and check me out uh, yeah you'll see my post but it wasn't the best one that i've ever done because I, I i've done seinfeld characters on other video games before like i've made them almost exactly like jerry and elaine and george and stuff so uh, i love doing that kind of stuff um but yeah hopefully there's an update and uh, tony hawks you'll be able to customize it even more and i'll make a real life kramer skateboarder yeah you need uh more options to make people with a horse face yeah <laughs> man oh, no, with a face that's horse jerry face. isn't it jerry's got no i think kramer's got the horse face too i think Okay, yeah. So uh, if, if anyone 
who works at the company uh, that makes Tony Hawk's is listening. Add that to your options for creating avatars, horse faces. Or, or the ability to like change the shapes of noses and mouths and the sizes and stuff, you know, and then I'll make it like a Michael Richards likeness. Yes, that's obviously mm-hmm. your most important, important task when creating a new game, mm-hmm. making us, mm-hmm. you know, making the ability for us to create Seinfeld avatars easier. That's right. So I have uh, two Seinfeldisms this week. Cool. One is very typical. I think I've had one every week for the last, well, since we've been in lockdown. There was mm-hmm. mention of Seinfeld on a podcast. This one was actually in Talking Sopranos, which is I know you're a fan of as well, Ivan. Mm, yeah. Every week, two actors from uh, The Sopranos, Michael Imperioli and I think Stephen Tripper is how you say Stephen Tripper. Yep. Yeah. They uh, are doing an episode by episode review of The Sopranos. Total fanboy of The Sopranos. Amazing podcast. Um, mm. And it's awesome that two actors, two key actors from the show are talking about it. Yeah. And they mentioned Seinfeld. I think there was some reference to New York or something like that. I can't remember. But um, yeah, obviously a welcome Seinfeldism. And my uh, second Seinfeldism is I was walking the other day through my neighborhood uh, on my way to get a coffee. And uh, I noticed that there was a car with uh, a business name on it. And at first I didn't notice it, but my partner, Kaylee, who I was walking with, pointed out that the business name on the car was Cosmos Painters. So <laughs> another another little business under the Crate America Industries banner. Lovely. And that's your name on uh, Squadcast, the thing that we're recording on at the moment. You put it as Cosmo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once lockdown is over, I'm going to knock on the door of the car owner and offer myself as a painter. Well, maybe you might be able to adopt a part of the highway and maintain it. True. Adopt a quiet suburban Melbourne street. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hopefully no. The 40k uh, limit. Yeah. Hopefully no sewing machines. Once, twice, three times a lady. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Seinfeld news for the week. Bit of a slow week this week. Uh, Only one news item to report. Through the week, Jason Alexander appeared at the annual JNF, which is the Jewish National Fund. They're a worldwide nonprofit organization helping to preserve Jewish culture and promote uh, Jewish friendship throughout the world. He appeared at their virtual uh, Australian gala. It was a bit tricky for me to actually view his his contribution to the event. I did have to pretend I was Jewish, um, which I- (laughs) You did a lot, Lee. Yeah, I did, I did. (laughs) Converted for the jokes. Just for the jokes. Well, in this case, I converted just for the Jason, which I think, you know, is is perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I had to answer a few Jewish questions to, I guess, prove my my <laughs> my my Jewishness. But a stickle of fluoride. <laughs> luckily, Wikipedia was there for me to um, get the answers to that. And oh. I, so I was a clandestine member of the JNF and I got an invite and uh, I did check out the gala and uh, I... <laughs> I, I I sat through a lot of you know talkers and 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 panelists and stuff that had no relevance to me because I'm not Jewish, but uh, it was all worth it once I got to Jason Alexander. He did like a 15 to 20 minute kind of scripted bit, making a lot of jokes about how he didn't know that there were Jews in Australia, but it makes yeah, sense right. because Australia is just one big desert and Jewish people <laughs> always just seem to end up in the desert. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he talked a lot about uh, you know the current state of the world and how things like the JNF to promote you know culture and uh, I guess intercultural friendships and uh, allyships is really, really important and how he's proud to stand with the organization, but also the Australian branch of it. Um, It was really nice. It was really heartwarming, really sweet. um, And it had the typical Jason Alexander charm. He sang a bit. He uh, Mm -hmm. did a few kind of George skits-ish. He didn't lean too Mm -hmm. much into the Seinfeld stuff. Um, He's had enough of that, I think. Yeah, a really, really charming, really, really awesome bit. It might actually be on YouTube. Don't quote me on that. But uh, if you're curious, just type in JNF Australia, Jason Alexander. And if it's up there, uh, it will come up. 
and it's it's worth a watch. It's really, really, really cool. And so uh, Seinfeld news for the JNF gala and a Seinfeldism for you for being doing a Watley. <laughs> yes, that's true, actually. <laughs> there yeah, you go. <laughs> An unintended <laughs> and uh, accidental Seinfeldism. Yeah, and that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about some secondary characters from Season 8's The Pothole. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. Season 8, Episode 16 was The Pothole, and that one first aired in the US on February 20th, 1997, directed by Andy Ackerman, written by Steve O'Donnell and Dan O'Keefe. In this episode, germaphobe Jerry accidentally knocks his girlfriend's toothbrush into her toilet, Jenna, played by Kristen Davis, and after retrieving it, she uses it before he can stop her. He tries to overcome his revulsion while making up excuses not to kiss her. Kramer adopts a section of highway and tries to improve it. When a Chinese restaurant won't deliver to her address, a Lane tries to get the food delivered by using a janitor's closet in a different building. George drops his keys in a pothole, which gets filled, and he tries to dig it out. And uh, other secondary characters are Soraya Coral. She plays Mrs. Alistair, the super in the building that Elaine is the janitor for. Uh, Radma Agana Jow plays the delivery guy. George Chung plays the Chinese restaurant owner. And Jack McGee plays Ralph, the head road maintenance guy who does a bit of mocking with George when he snorts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah a, right. it's about money, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> a simple insult to put George in his place. I like it. I love it. I love it. I love how he's just trying to be so nice to them and they're just like typical rough, you know, New York, you know, blue collar workers. Yeah, they're they, like, they we're not taking any shit. They haven't got any time for insincere pleasantries. They just want to do the work and get paid. That's it. And they, t- they talk them down to 50 bucks and but George has to do the labor. <laughs> oh, classic George. Classic. Yeah, he gets talked down. But anyway, a bit of trivia about the episode, my friend. Jerry, he appeared on um, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno the night before the episode aired and he declared the pothole to be one of the best episodes in of the series and uh, I think I might have to agree with him yeah it's a great episode an underrated episode I wouldn't say it's like you know a top tenner or an all-timer but uh, no, definitely no, one no. of those episodes that never really gets talked about all that often but yeah underrated for sure yeah absolutely what do you have brother Ah, uh, yeah so the name of the highway that Kramer adopts a mile of is called the Arthur Burkhardt Expressway obviously that's a fictional uh, highway in America but it was actually named after an actor who according to the DVD commentary had been called into audition for the series several times for several different roles however some of the um, members of uh, Seinfeld's team actually liked his performances. Awesome. So he uh, he did end up getting a like a bit of recognition then. Yeah, I guess that's the next best thing. If you can't be cast, then you may as well be uh, used to name a highway. Yeah. And speaking of auditions, man, so Kristen Davis, uh, she plays Jenna in the episode and she's also in The Butter Shave, which we've done a few weeks ago. Um, she originally auditioned for the part of Sister Roberta in Season 5's The Conversion. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> she would have been an interesting Sister Roberta. She has that very innocent kind of look. Yeah, I could see... Um, um, her playing Sister Roberta for sure. The line at the episode, and I would uh, at the end of the episode, and I would probably say that the it's like the most classic line in the episode where uh, Newman is burning alive, really, basically, or, yeah, in his mail truck, and he cries out, "Oh, the humanity!" That's actually a reference to a famous news broadcast from when uh, the Hindenburg, uh, the Hindenburg crashed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the helium balloon that was meant to be the next frontier for air travel, and uh, that didn't work <laughs> out too well. No, no. <laughs> I think what I think what was it no well, not helium i said helium so that'd be funny if it was helium yeah you know like this oh the humanity <laughs> I, I don't know what the hindenburg was filled in if you're a um I if you're a chemist it was hydrogen wasn't it hydrogen, hydrogen? yeah maybe I I think it was know. something flammable like that yeah 
if you're a chemical engineer or a um or a air travel specialist, uh, let us know. That I'd be interested to find out. Uh, or if you were on the Hindenburg and survived and you're still around, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say the Ind- the Hindenburg is the Andrea Doria of um of uh of air travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All those poor souls. Yes, all those poor souls. Um, mm. The final bit of trivia I have is that we learn in this episode that Elaine actually lives on the south side of West 86th Street. I don't think her address... That's right. Her current address, as of this episode, hadn't been referenced up until this point. That's right. Yes, she, she lives on the opposite side of the boundary where d- d- the delivery can occur. For China Panda, yes. China Panda, yes. <laughs> yes. Do you have any other trivia? No, that's it, buddy. Shall we just jump straight in? Sounds Straight good. into the pothole to get our Phil Rizzuto keys. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Jenna. So she's played by, as I mentioned before, Kristen Davis. She's most famous for playing the character Charlotte York in the TV show Sex and the City and its subsequent films. Uh, she's also known for the character Brooke in Melrose Place. She's also appeared in TV shows such as Bad Teacher and Will and Grace. And like I mentioned just before, this is her first appearance on the show and she appears for the second and final time in the season nine premiere The Butter Shave as Kenny Banya's love interest. Um, so Jenna, I think she seems like a pretty down-to-earth girl and she's got a bit of a well she's very uh she's got a bit of a sense of humor about her as well like you know she's frustrated that jerry dropped the toothbrush in the toilet and didn't tell her of course you know if that happened and your significant other didn't tell you you'd be pretty uh pretty frustrated but uh, i think she's got like a good sense of humor though like she knows that jerry is like a germaphobe probably bordering on a disorder like elaine described yeah, um sure. so so jenna probably is aware of jerry's uh afflictions of sort of sorts and uh she decides to drop something in the toilet but she's not quite villainous or you know malevolent uh she just puts a toilet brush in there something you actually put in the toilet no she's just sort of just messing with him just playing a bit yeah. of a mind game yeah but it doesn't it's not malicious or, or evil and look you know jerry gets away with so much bad behavior that someone giving it back to him on occasion is kind of warranted so i do i do like her for that for not really uh putting up with jerry's bullshit um, you know, mm, she, yeah. she, sort of, she gets her own back in a way, which I appreciate. Yeah. Look, I think she's like one in terms of like germaphobe, uh, rating, I would say she's like one level below Jerry. You, oh, you, look at you her, think so? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think oh, she, okay. yeah, look, I don't think she would be, uh, as off put, oh, sorry, put off, off put. That's not a word. I don't think she would be yeah, yeah. as put off by, she would probably want Jerry to brush his teeth if she actually, if she accidentally knocked his toothbrush in the loo. But I think she'd be satisfied with a good teeth brushing and a good mouth washing, and then she'd be perfectly okay. But you look at her apartment, you know, and even Jerry describes her as very neat and fastidious, the only mm. acceptable in uh, George's <laughs> list when he's trying to describe Jerry. Yeah, um, I'll take fastidious. Yeah, finicky, something else, <laughs> fastidious, and he goes, mm, I'll take fastidious. So, mm. yeah, look, I, I think she's very neat, very organized, but I don't think she's as uptight as Jerry. Oh, certainly not. In terms of yeah. personal hygiene. And look, I don't think it's unreasonable to want <laughs> someone to brush their teeth and wash their mouth out if, if they were using a toothbrush that had been in the loo, even if it was for a few seconds. I, I don't think it's an unreasonable position, but anything beyond mouthwash or a toothbrush in terms of refusing to kiss, I think, yeah, is a bit a bit, uh, a bit over the top. And it's very sneaky that Jerry puts a bit of bleach in the plaques. Did you notice? Because he asked George in an earlier scene, does bleach, you know, are you able to swallow bleach? And George says, oh, you know, it gives you a bit of a sore throat or something. And then and then Jenna says that <laughs> that the plaques taste a bit like bleach and Jerry's pretending he's unaware. So he's, yeah, he's actually like, put oh, some bleach in the, in the mouthwash. Jesus, that's like, oh, dangerous. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. about that. Dangerous. Yeah, I mean, that's bleach is not a chemical you want to mess around with even in small quantities it's potentially dangerous so yeah jerry's uh you know being a bit irresponsible there i think so 
Yeah, and look, I think part of her mind game as well, or the reason she decides to get revenge on Jerry is not just because of her, uh, sorry, because of him withholding the toothbrush incident from her, but also maybe she was a bit offended when he very obviously made up that he was a bit sick when he uh, justified not kissing her. You know, Mm. he's very transparent. All of a sudden, he's just like, oh, I'm a bit sick and I don't want to pass it on to you. (laughs) And you look look at her and she's kind of like, all right, whatever. She's just a a bit miffed. So I think that contributed to her wanting to you know, kind of get back at Jerry. And then the then the the withholding of the toilet incident kind of solidified that that annoyance. Yeah. Do you think that um because it, it, the the episode cuts to them, you know, it opens up with them in her apartment and Jerry's brushing his teeth. You think they they would have had obviously they would have had relations by then. Because I was under the impression that maybe it was the first time that they were going to kiss. But um I figure they've probably already been together a, few, a couple of times beforehand. Yeah, look, and they, she'd probably just want a subsequent kiss and Jerry won't give it to her. Yeah, look, I would assume that if uh, she's happy to have him over and, you know, brushing brushing of teeth kind of implies that he stayed the night. So, mm. yeah, I think the fact that they seem very comfortable around each other when the episode starts and that he is brushing his teeth implies that, yeah, they've been uh, intimate. So that's, you know, again, probably why she was miffed at, you know, she was trying to figure out why all of a sudden he came down with a very transparently fake sickness uh, as an excuse yeah. not to kiss her. Yeah. One thought that occurred to me about Jenna is that maybe she's got a slight hippie-ish tendency, maybe. Like, not a full-blown hippie, but just, you know, like little wisps of hippiness. Um, How so? The reason being is that she uses baking soda-flavoured toothpaste. Um, You know, baking soda is commonly used in, like, more natural products. Um, It's seen as, like, a less chemically harsh cleaning product. You know, it's more of a, like, a natural or or safer household cleaner, And and in this case teeth cleaner and also mm. around her apartment she's got uh, a lot of kind of like weird i would say like fairly eccentric kind of art and i don't know mm-hmm. it just reminded me of like hippie-ish not total hippie but just like a few little hippie-ish tendencies you know maybe she just has a few more natural products than most people or you know maybe she does a bit of meditational yoga just you know those like faint wisps of of hippiness hippiness that that some people have so she's very liberal and uh, she goes on the hippie side. Yeah, look, I don't think she leans too much into the hippiness. I think it's just like a tight, like a tinge, you know, like, and, and yeah. that's, it only goes as far as like a few more natural products and, you know, a bit of weird art and maybe a bit of yoga yeah. or meditation or something like that. Fair enough. Well, uh, you mentioned that she's a couple of maybe one or two rungs down from Jerry in regards to germophobia. What yep. do you think happened to her after the toilet water splashed all over her after the George incident? Oh, do you think yeah. she maybe had a bath for like five hours? <laughs> she, you know, she, she was in the shower for like several, like half a day? Oh, yeah. Trying to get would, off? That would require a good physical and I think mental scrubbing. That would that would be very traumatic. <laughs> I, think you need, I think you need to seek some therapy to sort yeah. of to, to get past that for sure. Um, and and look, you can see Jerry. Uh, sorry, I was going to say, Steve, you can see Jerry and Jerry's like kind of begrudgingly accepting the fact that there might be some dirt, some kind of, you know, poor hygiene at times in the relationship. And then he walks in and she's covered in shit water and he's like, oh, I can get out of this one. <laughs> Have a nice yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. Even though even though his girlfriend is covered in shit, he's just seeing the benefit to him in that he's now he's got an easy way out. Classic Jerry. Yeah. Classic <laughs> selfish it. Jerry. Um, yeah. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if for a time after this, uh, Jenna maybe was even more germophobic than uh, mm. Jerry and Putty, you know, but over time with a bit more therapy and, you know, just time itself, I think she would have 
come back down to the level of germophobia that she had before the being covered in shit water incident. And then by the time she finished recovering, she met Kenny in the butter Yeah, shed. exactly. Look, she seemed back to her normal self by the time she met Kenny. But between the shit water incident and Kenny, she, uh, yeah, she probably had to give herself a good physical scrub and a bit of a mental scrub as well. Mm-hmm, I think so, especially if that happened you know, to any of us. We'd be pretty upset about that. And look, once she uh, got to know Kenny and maybe saw his comedy a few times, she probably had to go back to the to the scrub as well. She was like, oh, what am I doing? I've got to stop <laughs> I've got to stop dating these terrible comedians. Why am I so attracted to him? Yeah. Is this some, some kind of pull? Yeah. I think she I think she would have been put off comedians. You know, Jerry would have gotten her halfway there, but then Kenny would have sealed the deal in terms of her being uh, completely off put. Why do I keep saying that? Off put. Put off, off by comedians. Put off by that. But it's funny because in our bonus podcast, season 11, we wrote in the fact that Jenna and Kenny are actually husband and wife in like the later years. So that's that true. kind of throws that theory. But that's just hypothetical, of course. But no. Yeah. And so Jenna, uh, yeah, she, uh, you know, she was pretty keen on Jerry and then realized how much of a germaphobe he was. And then, yeah, just to kind of stick it to him a little bit for leaving the toothbrush in the toilet or putting it in there without telling her, she decided to play a game. But like I mentioned before, she's not evil enough to throw something non-toilet related in the toilet yeah look she's she seems very kind and very nice um but mm, not yeah. but not so innocent that she doesn't think jerry's behavior warrants you know a, a slight bit of revenge and i think it's great because i think elaine makes a point where you know jerry finds faults in his women i like how it's actually jerry that has all the faults you know it's not really jenna i mean jenna seems all right like she seems like a normal person but it's jerry that has the faults about being a germaphobe yeah, we commented on that a couple of episodes ago. I can't remember who Jerry's episode girlfriend was, but the one that does all the charity work. What episode was oh, that? Oh, Lena. 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 Yeah. In, in the spine. That, ep- that was last week. Oh, yeah, no, the week that, or two weeks ago. Two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, in that episode, it was a similar dynamic where, you know, she was the, she was the I guess, superior Normal person, one. Or the, 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 yeah. less, the less faulted person, and Jerry mm. was the one displaying all the faults. So, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice repeat of that dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, I think, one season after. So, in yes. season seven and then season eight. So, yeah, it's good that we saw it t- two weeks in a row. Yeah, it only took eight seasons for the tables to turn very slightly on Jerry's <laughs> terrible treatment of his girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Why don't we talk about uh, Mrs. Alistair? Yes, Mrs. Alistair, played by Soraya Carroll. She's known for the film Original Gangster. And uh, I think, I assume she is maybe the super for the building because um, she thinks that Elaine is the janitor and she kind of orders her to go into the garage to clean up all that stuff. I feel like she doesn't really muck around either. I think she just fires anyone really nearly she wants. You know, she doesn't really take into account, you know, the janitor's personal issues or any problems they're having. I think she's probably pretty trigger happy when it comes to hiring and firing like my guess is because you know you probably know who your janitor is yeah you'd know your staff and who they are i think maybe because she's fired so many janitors in the past um maybe uh, she thinks elaine's the new one and she just it's like a revolving door yeah she can't remember who the last janitor was and all it takes is elaine saying oh i'm the janitor and she's like okay that makes sense yeah yeah i must have hired you the other day i don't know (laughs) yeah i would also assume that maybe before becoming the super she started out as the janitor because she seems to know a lot about janitorial work oh okay Okay. The more nuanced details. And maybe she worked her way up to be superintendent. You know, maybe she started as a janitor and then <laughs> she was the okay. only janitor to last, you know, more than a month or two. Uh, and then, uh, you know, she eventually stayed there long enough to become the super. Oh, I've never heard of a janitor becoming a super. That's pretty uh, pretty full on. Unless if she was like living in the apartment and she was doing, maybe they didn't have a full-time janitor and maybe she was doing like 
that kind of maintenance work as well. Maybe they, um, you know, maybe they offered to cut her rent in half if she did the janitorial work while she was living there. Um, maybe. To me, I don't know if that's like a, a common line of promotion, a janitor to a super. But to me, it makes <laughs> I've never sense heard in that, that in my life. <laughs> no, but well, we don't really live in buildings that have janitors and supers over here. So it's it's not really a familiar mm. concept to Australians. True. If, look, if you're American, is that a thing that could happen? Could someone be a janitor for a building and then eventually take on more responsibility to, you know, more or less run the building? Is that a thing? I'd be interested. Well, with hard work and determination, the janitor can become the CEO of the company. <laughs> okay, <laughs> 80s corporate ad. That's <laughs> like 80s corporate guy. <laughs> yeah, from NBC. Yeah, you, you do a good voice. You do a good uh, impression of that. With hard work and determination, you can become the CEO of any building you choose. That's right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's all I had about Mrs. Alistair. She was only in a couple of scenes. But yeah, I agree. She uh, runs a very tight ship and tight to the point where people just come and go. And uh, I like your idea that she's very trigger happy when it comes to hiring and firing so much so that she doesn't even realize that Elaine is just pretending to be the janitor. That's right. Yeah, she just has, she has no clue. She's just, or maybe she, I don't know, maybe she has, she's a super in a couple of buildings, maybe, or she manages, maybe she's like a property manager or, or something. I'm not sure. Or maybe she's like the head landlord of all the apartments. She owns the building or something. I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe, well, maybe look, she owns like two or three apartment buildings and just goes around, you know, to each one, every, you know, every couple of days to see what's going on. I don't know. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think her being a super makes sense because I would imagine that a superintendent would manage the buildings, facilities, but also manage the staff including janitors mm. that help keep the building going. So, yeah, to me, it makes sense that she's the super if she's giving direct orders to Elaine. All right, why don't we talk about the owner of China Panda? Yeah, the owner of China Panda, he is played by George Chung. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, he uh, he's pretty strict with his delivery. I mean, even though Elaine's across the street and she's just past the boundary, he just, he sticks quite firm because he says that, you know, if I deliver to you, then I've got to deliver to 42nd Street, 52nd Street, Wall Street, Mexico. <laughs> you know, like, where does it? And end. He, I like how he goes like 83rd Street, Mexico, 84th Street. He is Wall, yeah, Wall Street. So far as yeah. to Mexico, but then it comes back to 84th Street. He, he, you know, he doesn't want to travel further than he needs to. And even if it's across the road, it's too bad. Given that uh, China Panda obviously has a very good reputation and that their supreme flounder is a highly regarded dish, I think he is just, you know, he set himself a delivery boundary and he doesn't need to worry about expanding his business because. Nah. Uh, you know, it's one of his dishes is very famous. I think he, uh, you know, he obviously, he very obviously ally, uh, lies to Elaine when uh, when she's like, is this really, you know, the, the first time that this dish has been served in America? And he goes, yep, first time, whatever. Like he's very dismissive of her. So I think mm -hmm. he gets that question all the time. And he just goes on like an autopilot response and he's just like, yep, first time in America. What do you want? So yeah, what just, do you want? Yeah. He doesn't indulge that that like, oh, wow, this is the first time. He's just like, yep, whatever. What do you want? <laughs> it's just very, very robotic, very monotonous on the phone. Yeah, and I think he, he probably feels that question all the time because of the, the dish's reputation. And he just seems a bit sick of it. And I think much like when we talked about Yevgasin, the soup Nazi, way back when, I think we mentioned that the soup Nazi could have the opportunity to expand if he really wanted to. But I think to maintain the quality of the food, I think he just probably wants the one restaurant and he just wants to stick with it. And uh, people just come to flock from everywhere to go do it. And uh, and yeah, he, he doesn't want to expand and compromise on the flavors. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I Look, I'm going to go out and say it. I think China Panda is the the soup Nazis, the soup cafe of Chinese restaurants in in New York. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's I'd say it's got, a, it's got a cult following. He 
wants to keep very tight quality controls in terms of where it delivers to the dishes he has and it's got that devoted following and i think the chinese restaurant in season two that's more of like upmarket chinese food you know how you go to like a really nice you know white white cloth chinese restaurant and you know like the food's really good and the service is impeccable and yeah, all the waiters are like in suits and stuff i think this place is more like your suburban chinese restaurant but it's like it's probably like a, like a low to mid-range kind of restaurant but it's the place that locals go to and it's really good yeah look i think it's somewhere between you know like you sort of like dirty back alley restaurant and your fine dining it's just that middle middle of the road you know you could go there for a nice dinner but um you know it's 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 not somewhere where you would be worried about getting food poisoning either it's that that nice yeah. middle ground i think as well you know maybe to like help you know create a bit of a brand maybe or or uh you know a bit of a, a vibe within the place i noticed that there were a couple of hong kong action posters uh, on the wall mm-hmm. behind the owner's desk where he has his phone so yep. either maybe he's a fan of hong kong action posters or maybe you know some restaurants like put up certain you know certain imagery or certain posters or certain colors to create like a bit of a, a brand or a bit of a vibe about it so maybe yeah, i would yeah. assume that you know if you saw more of the restaurant there would be a lot of hong kong action posters and paraphernalia around the restaurant maybe he's just a bruce lee fan yeah he could well be i didn't catch yep. any of the names of the movies because they were kind of obscured but they were very mm-hmm. obviously that 70s and 80s hong kong kung fu action film mm-hmm, which were pretty big back then yeah for sure for sure yeah yeah so that's the owner do you have any other notes on him no 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 that's it i did have a couple of notes on the delivery guy do you not really many notes on him but i guess we can talk about him briefly uh he's played by radma agana jow yeah just a young guy i think yeah, just works there. And uh, even he's aware of the delivery. I think he's probably had people like Elaine try and get food in that building. He's probably, he probably knows what's up. Yeah, he seems very onto Elaine from the start. He, he's immediately sus when she, even when she comes out to meet him, he's immediately like, uh, you know, I don't trust you. Uh, I'm onto you sort of thing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe he's the son of the owner. Oh, maybe. Yeah. The yeah. reason being is that he has an American accent. So I'm guessing he's a uh, first gen. Chinese American. Chinese American person and the owner of the China Panda, you know, he speaks perfect English, but he obviously does have an accent. So I'm guessing he was born and raised in China and he came over, you know, maybe in his teens or 20s or something like that. And I would assume that the delivery guy, you know, being the owner's son will eventually inherit China Panda once the owner is ready to retire, you know, at a very old age, once mm-hmm. he's willing to, to give up the reins, which I imagine <laughs> would, would take a lot because he, he runs that tight ship and I don't think he would have a lot of trust, even in his own son. Unless they absolutely had to, they'd have to change the name of the Supreme Flame to mediocre flounder or good flounder <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't quite be supreme yeah it's fine flounder you know it's it's, it's, over right. the, it's fine flounder yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right i mean you know mm-hmm. i wouldn't order it again but yeah it's fine <laughs> it's, it's fine it's okay yeah it used to be much more supreme uh much yeah that's supreme. that's all i had about him i just assumed that maybe he was because the ages were right as well the you know the owner looks maybe 50 55 and the delivery guy looks yeah. you know mid mid 20s maybe pushing 30 yeah you know and given given the generational i guess you know wave of immigration that came over um after world war ii that the owner was most likely part of it kind of makes sense in that in that way as well yeah well one thing i wanted to say about him as well is because elaine speaks to the man in the apartment and and then the man says, how did you get in here? And Elaine says, oh, the lock, you know, you just jiggle the lock. I think probably what happened was maybe Elaine probably told the delivery guy, just jiggle the lock to get into the building because, you know, she doesn't have like an intercom or whatever. He was able to get to the, you know, to the front to, of her, you know, quote unquote apartment door <laughs> to drop off the food. So yeah. she probably just left an instruction saying, just do that and you can come straight in. No, I would agree with yeah. that for sure. So she got away with it. Yeah, she did. She uh, she got a Supreme Flounder in the end. Her payment, other than uh, paying for the dish, was... Uh, you know, a lot of janitorial.
real work. That, yes, that and dumping rubbish in there. Yeah. Flannel must have been really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it was worth... Uh, not not many uh, dishes would convince me to do some free janitorial work uh, just to eat them. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather go without, if I'm <laughs> perfectly honest. But um, well, Kramer yeah. says that they're so good he can eat them out of a dumpster. <laughs> That's must be good. Yeah, like I said, I think it's fair to say that the supreme flounder is the uh, mulligatani of, of, uh, of Chinese dishes in the local area. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about Ralph, the uh, the boss of the Roadworks crew that uh, do work for George after being bargained down to $50. <laughs> 50 bucks, but George has to supply the labour. Um, he's played by Jack McGee. He's known for the films The Fighter and Basic Instinct. Yeah, I said before, he's a typical New Yorker in tone and demeanour, you know, just rough, you know, doesn't muck around, you know, he's, you know that kind of stereotypical New York attitude he's got. Yeah. I feel like he, probably the job, I th- I feel like him and his maintenance work, because Kramer says he met them at the on the highway, I'm guessing his company or his firm probably do a lot of like big projects like highways, roads, you know, like big infrastructure things that they work on. And, you know, if you're earning so much money and you're making good money, I mean, if, if, if you're earning so much doing such big jobs, why would you want to open up a pothole? That's like a little job, you know? Oh, yeah, you're probably but- worth like 100 an hour or something or more. And then this is just job will take you like 10 minutes. It's like, I don't do a little job, you know, especially if you do like big projects. It's like asking someone to do something so minuscule. It's like, dude, no, <laughs> it's this literally is not worth my time. Yeah, for sure. And given that, I'm surprised that even though they didn't have to do any of the labor, I'm surprised that they still accepted $50. It seems low to split amongst, I mean, how many was there? What, four or five people in his crew? That, yeah. Say 10 bucks each, even with no jackhammering, that seems very low. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe George for once in his life actually was a good bargainer in this situation. Not sure. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like the $50 because, you know, George has the jackhammer and the workwear. I think he maybe hired the workwear and the jackhammer, like the equipment. So maybe mm. it was just for hire, the 50 bucks, you know? True, true. Yeah. But he had to supply the labor. So parts parts were the 50 bucks. That's my guess. Uh, yeah. No, that's, that's a good point actually. <laughs> I was going to say, I would assume that maybe he does a lot of, him and his crew do a lot of uh, off the off the books work like this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe not as small as potholes, but maybe some like side jobs for cash, you know, to supplement the uh, income that he would earn from the from the bigger highway jobs. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, even something as small as that, he wouldn't he wouldn't go out of his way to do it. He even looks no. at George and George is like, you know, he's thinking, why, why the hell should I do this? And then yeah. George says, is it, is it about money? And he goes, yeah, it is. Yeah. He seems very comfortable with the idea of doing sort of like off the books cash jobs, you know, outside of the normal jobs that he would be doing for whatever company he works for. So yeah, I would assume that it's a frequent occurrence, but yeah, not projects as small as potholes. Somewhere in between a highway and a pothole, I think are his regular yeah. off the books jobs. Yeah. If he had to like construct a bike path or if he had to like dig up like a big part of the road, you know, maybe, yeah, yeah but <laughs> no, no, something, something which wouldn't take too much notice from other people. I mean, if it no. was like a small area and no one cared about like, or whatever, but if he's going to dig yeah. up like half the highway without being commissioned to do it, then there'd be some trouble. Yeah. And look, amongst whatever you call the community of people that Kramer knows, like the sort of, you know, the fringe dwellers of the world, you know, people that exist in society, but just on the uh, the outskirts of the mainstream, I guess you would say. And Kramer mm-hmm. seems to know a lot of those people in different, uh, you know, industries and different walks of life. I would assume that Ralph and his crew would be very comfortable amongst those people yeah. because they do, Kramer is well aware of the fact that he can get Ralph and his crew to do this sort of like off the books job for cash. And yeah. again, I think that demonstrates the fact that he does it a lot. And, uh, you know, amongst people who maybe don't want to do things always through official channels, him and his crew would be well known uh, as a resource for people who want to do these, wouldn't say dodgy, but less official uh, jobs. Yeah, I think that because Kramer met them at the Adopter Highway program, you know, yeah. doing work on, on the on the highway, he probably said, like, my friend's got this project that I, he probably like over, over like exacerbated what the project actually is. Yeah. And maybe he thought, oh, my, 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 my friend has like this 
big thing I need him I need done. You reckon you can help him out? And yep. Ralph's probably thinking, oh, baby, yeah, this will be a good job. Yep. And then they're underwhelmed when they rock up and George says, oh, it's just a pothole. And like yep. that one. <laughs> I thought it was something a bit more uh, substantial than that. Yeah, no, I would agree with that for sure. <laughs> Kramer oversold the idea. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Do you have any uh, other notes about any of the other secondaries? Nah, man, that's it. Yep, that's it. All right, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll find out where the pothole sits in order of the episodes we've reviewed so far and whether any of this week's secondary characters appear in our top 20 of all time. Holy cow. You once, twice, three times later. What the hell was that? So, buddy, after 143 mainline episodes that we have reviewed, where does the pothole sit for you? Uh, this episode sits at number 32. I really like this. Oh, sweet. 39 for me. Yeah, I think uh, we've already kind of discussed it throughout this uh, episode of the podcast. We feel like it's an underrated episode. Lots of really, really good uh, intertwining storylines. I feel like sometimes when they have four storylines, it's hard to make them intersect and, and coalesque uh, in a satisfying way. But I think they pulled it off in this in this one. Yeah, just, just an underrated episode in general. Yeah, I, I found it really funny. And I loved how even though it was like a more of a silly season eight episode, I feel like the structure of the plot was like really coherent. And I loved how everything wrapped up in the end. It was just kind of like it's kind of like season four, season five Seinfeld, where everything kind of just like wrapped up really nicely. It's you know how season eight and nine sometimes it's a bit clunky when all the storylines come together but i found the plot hole was pretty seamless yeah no it was very tight it just worked yeah very, and it was funny very, yeah very well, well written uh sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it definitely does in this one really liked it yeah i really liked it too i, I think it was great yeah definitely uh, an underappreciated gem yeah for sure for sure all right uh do any of the secondaries appear in your top 20 no what about you buddy uh no but uh shout out to the owner honorable mention to the owner of china panda he's a fairly stern seemingly pretty grumpy old man and uh you know i love those guys so yeah shout out to him <laughs> yes the uh the lower class or the lower priced uh, chinese restaurant maitre d <laughs> <laughs> that's true you don't feel like fancy chinese you just want something you know after work just grab it and go yeah here you go it's, it's blue collar chinese not uh not this high flying white collar stuff that's right all right, that is another week of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Thank you so much for listening. You can get in touch with us by emailing bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on all of our social media. You'll find all those details in the show notes. And obviously, you can listen to all of our previous episodes on your podcast app of choice. And uh, if you want to rate us or review us, that would be amazing. You can support us financially too. That's right, on Patreon and PayPal. And next week, Stephen, it is a milestone episode for us because this will be our final season three episode we've ever done. Yeah, we've uh, ticked off all of season one and all of season two, now season three. So it slowly feels like we are coming to a close. We've only got 26, 27 more episodes to review in total. So um, yeah, another little, another little box ticked off. Yes, and that'll be the truth from season three nice another underrated mm. episode i feel mm -hmm. i actually watched that one a couple of weeks ago it's pretty uh pretty funny yeah nice. <laughs> i don't like your earrings you want the truth <laughs> you want the truth you know there's that, that the woman dressed in like the chinese you know the gear with the chopsticks yeah and george yeah, is yeah, trying yeah, to hide yeah. hide his rage and he's Papier like mache, what the hell is Papier Papier mache? Mache? 
What the hell is PPA mache? And she ends up in the uh, psycho psychiatric ward. Yeah, and Jerry, uh, needs, Jerry needs his uh, tax done because he's in trouble in an audit. I can't wait to talk about her and other characters. <laughs> yeah, no, it should be good. In the meantime, thank you again for listening and uh, check out our Facebook group, Seinfeldisms, if you want to join the fun and check out a whole bunch of stuff that's coming up. Until next week, I'm Stephen. I'm Ivan. And uh, we'll catch you all next week for the truth. Yes, and nothing but the truth. <laughs>